Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off podcast. In today's episode, I've got Nick from AppCheck with me. Nick, for those who've never heard of you, can you give us a quick introduction? So my name's Nick Blundell. Um, I work as a head of research and development at AppCheck. Um, I'll give you a very brief bio um, so people know who I yeah. am. So um, my background is in computer science um, in academia. Um, from a young age, I got grabbed by coding really and, um, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, just the, the idea that you can take a piece of code and solve a problem. Um, and so, yeah, so I've been kind of always working in networking, um, operating systems, and then I drifted into security, which was a good fit. And uh, for the past, I think, maybe 10 years now, I've been working uh, with AppCheck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the focus at AppCheck is to create um, automated scanning software for web applications primarily. Um, and so that's what I do. So I, I spend most days just like exploring, um, you know, the, the harder problems of doing that, yeah. which we'll talk about today. And, um, and just, just trying to get as close as possible to being able to automate a scan of a web application. And, and we will find out that there are lots of, there's, there's quite a variety of how web applications work. There's no standard way of doing it. There are, there are similar, people use similar frameworks and things like that, but there are often subtle differences that. I think a lot of people who will have, you know, if they've worked in IT for any length of time, they'll have at least seen a vulnerability scan output, will have at least seen a pen test report. And I think a lot of people kind of inherently understand that, you know, um, infrastructure scanning, when it comes to mapping the targets, you know, you're going to have a load of IP addresses and you're probably going to do port scans and things like that. But when it comes to web applications, um, how do you map the actual target and, and how much of a technical challenge is that? Yeah, so in comparison with kind of infrastructure scanning, where, like you said, you've the main idea there is to identify hosts that are live on an IP range and then identify ports and then find uh, maybe known software on those ports and scan them. With a web application, what we're really trying to do is, um, if you imagine the actual application, how it's working on the server side, there are lots of code paths that implement all the features of the application. And what we really want to do with the scanner is flex all of those paths, all those different paths, so paths updating data, paths for viewing data, um, you know, anything to do with authentication, all of that stuff. And so all of that, we talk about it as the logical attack surface, because when you look at a web application, if you go to Amazon, for example, you've got hundreds of thousands of pages, um, and but those those pages will map to a smaller logical attack surface. You've got product page. You mm-hmm. may have distinct product pages, but they all map to uh, maybe a small, you know, a handful of logical um, yeah. parts of the attack surface. So what we're trying to do with a web application scanner is to um, effectively crawl the application to find as much information, much exam- as many examples as possible about how we reach those features of the application and reduce those into a set that we call the logical attack surface, which is what we're then going to proceed to fuzz. The The scale of, of the attack surface can be very large, so we don't want to waste time um, scanning for vulnerabilities where we'll be sending many, many payloads yeah. in all different parameters to effectively the same set of the uh, attack surface, the same part of the attack surface, which would um, waste a lot of requests so we were we effectively taking a large attack surface we're reducing it down to the logical attack surface um, that we believe is the the true attack surface and then we're trying to as efficiently as possible fuzz those um those distinct requests for the attack surface to find vulnerabilities so it's um, th- there's a big emphasis with uh, web applications on well there's two sides of it really the the two parts are the crawl is so important um, if the crawler doesn't reach um, those parts of the application, yeah. then it will never fuss them, will never find vulnerabilities there. They're effectively like shadows that we never see. Um, but once we do find them, then we've got to make sure we're fuzzing them for all yeah. different kinds of vulnerabilities, using many different payloads, many different workflows to identify those vulnerabilities. And um, that's that's the nature of it, really. So it's, yeah, there's more, um, there's more kind of analysis in the crawl phase. Uh, than if you were just scanning for ports, for example, which is yeah. usually fairly easy to determine. Yeah. So when you when you find your the, the logical attack surface, like you mentioned, and you and you're ready to 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 fuzz it, um, 
what is what is fuzzing yes yeah, so fuzzing is a it's a, an old technique and it's a reliable technique and um, for quickly finding vulnerabilities so we know that um, there are certain classes of vulnerabilities that we talk about like mm -hmm. SQL injection cross-site scripting and they have known kind of um, vectors of attack known payloads that trigger certain behavior so fuzzing the idea is that you 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 build a set of payloads or you, you dynamically construct those payloads based on observations to identify those vulnerabilities. And, and it's all based around the idea that we're, from the scanner's point of view, it's approaching the system as a black box. It doesn't know um, doesn't know how that's implemented. It might not know um, what particular operating system it's running on, what framework. It could be all hidden from the yeah. scanner. So the scanner is trying to find those vulnerabilities with little knowledge of how they might be implemented. So it's it's fuzzing, it's sending in crafted payloads into as many places as it can that, that it expects are potentially being treated as dynamic content. And it's fuzzing through those payloads until it sees um, some kind of uh, response, which could be a direct response that says we trigger an error message mm -hmm. and the error message may disclose the vulnerability. Um, it could trigger something out of band, it could trigger a delay it could trigger a DNS lookup um, to an external service. So this is what we're doing. So fuzzing is usually when people are looking for vulnerabilities, fuzzing is the, the quickest way to identify um, vulnerabilities. Um, you know, yeah. sort of, um, you, you might later then, if you had access to the source code, you would be looking at the source code for intricate um, kind of design and flaws that mm -hmm. would lead to vulnerabilities. But this, this can take a long time and also requires access to the source code. But fuzzing is really just like, so it's dynamically flexing the application to see what happens when you give it certain inputs. But you, you mentioned yeah. um, a, a couple of words there. So you, you said crafted payloads and you said um, dynamically generated. So do, yeah. is there like a finite list of possible payloads that you send to every input or is it is it something cleverer than that? Yeah, so all these things depend on the particular vulnerability that we're looking for. Some vulnerabilities, for example, um, if you're looking for a, um, well, a, a very basic example is if you're brute forcing a particular path. So if, if you consider that as fuzzing, then fuzzing would be a long list of known paths that you might look for that might have um, like log files, yeah. and, you know, code repositories being served up. So that's like a, an example of a static set of payloads it would send. And they could go anywhere. They could go in the path of the URL. They could go in parameters. They could even go inside you know, an XML payload or something anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. but, the, but the way you would do that would be just to send a static list of paths through there, see if, if any of them come back with a hit. Um, but in terms of crafting then, yeah, so some, if you take cross-site scripting, for example, which yeah. is that vulnerability, the idea is that the application is reflecting input into the page insecurely so that um, it might be possible for an attacker to inject a script into a page that then gets viewed by another user and that executes in their page, in their session, and hijacks their account. So for something like cross-site scripting, um, yeah, you can you can send a static set of payloads, and some scanners do that. So they they have script tags in inject a script tag, and they go through those. Um, but what's more effective is to to probe um, probe the response. So you inject maybe a, a limited character set, and you see which characters you can get through to the application, which uh, which it's filtering out. Maybe it's filtering out keywords like script using a basic kind of um, blacklisting approach and then by doing this kind of crafted dynamic um, injection of payloads when you're fuzzing then you can you can craft an exploit around to, to, to bypass any mitigations that the application might be using and by mitigations I mean flawed mitigations so yeah. often uh, we consider it a flawed mitigation if somebody is just blacklisting certain keywords that we know we can bypass so this is an example there um, some other examples of things like mm -hmm. um, um, well, kind of sometimes you you find a vulnerability through some inference and a, and a good example is when we're able to inject a delay into a response. You mentioned um, inference and using delays earlier and you also mentioned out of band. Um, as, as we yeah. talk through this, can you can you very quickly also just like um, what is inference and, and what is out of band and how does that how is that relate to what we're talking to here? Okay, yeah. So um, so sometimes we can talk generally about the feedback that we're getting from the application. Mm -hmm. So remember that we talked about it as a black box. Yeah. So as a black box, we don't know how it works, uh, but we do know what we what we can measure is what we can see happening. So 
the the most obvious feedback we get is an error message if something goes wrong usually or if it's serving up a sensitive file yeah this is a direct piece of feedback we can say here's a vulnerability you know there's an error message from the sql database um that's good but often applications if they're deployed correctly configured correctly then they'll mask those error messages from us so we won't get what we call the bose error message we'll just get um, a, a generic error saying something went wrong you know 500 um, we'll bounce you back to the home page mm -hmm. or talk to our support in those cases sometimes although we don't get an error we can um, we can do some inference based on the feedback that could be it could be a delay that we could measure so we could inject a delay so that we know even if we don't get an error message we are controlling the delay so if I inject a five second delay into a, a SQL statement and I see a five second de delay in a response or some multiple of that to suggest that I'm controlling the, the delay then that's an example of um, yeah. some feedback that I can use to determine a vulnerability in the harder case we get none of that um, we get none of that direct feedback and usually this is because you might imagine an application where um, you submit some data, maybe a contact form request or, or a support request. And yeah. what happens to the data is it doesn't get processed immediately by mm -hmm. the application to create a response. Um, although it does maybe go into some kind of scheduling system where yeah. it, it becomes logged as a job and then some other system maybe in the back end somewhere picks up that job and processes it. And it's that where the vulnerability um, is, um, is, is detected. Yeah. Now, because there's no direct feedback in the response for that vulnerability, then there's no way to determine it directly. So we can use things like um, out of band, we can send, uh, make DNS requests. Um, in, we can inject those into the payload so that if they do get processed later on, out of band, in their own time, asynchronously, maybe at night time, maybe yeah. next week when some payroll thing runs, then it's going to trigger a DNS lookup to our server that's listening for that. And that's enough information for us to know that we found a vulnerability because we caused it to trigger that yeah. DNS lookup. So there's some some unique uh, host name that has never been used before, and you, you you're yeah. using it as part of the payload. So if it if it if somebody looks it token. up, yeah, yeah. It, it, it must have been because of that. Okay. Yeah. So that's and and these are in terms of automated detection. These are these kind of techniques are more being used now than they were maybe I don't know five or ten years ago. Mm -hmm. So this this idea of uh, looking for out of band asynchronous kind of vulnerabilities. So things that don't happen in time with a request, uh, but happen, you know, in their own time, in their own schedule. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, the, there could be a batch process that, that happens at night. And I can imagine on a pen test, this being, you know, send some payloads during the day, and then you come to work the next day and you, you, you catch all of those responses or you check for, for those inference uh, details. But this sounds like there could be quite a big delay between the scanner sending that payload and then it receiving the response. I guess the, I guess the question would be, how long can the delay be before the scanner stops checking? And um, how how is that actually actually done? Does the scanner just have a central system where it where it's waiting for all of these requests to come through, or, or, or what? Yeah. So the yeah. So the the truth is that that's unbounded. So there's no way of knowing. Um, it could be possible that we we found a vulnerability and then next year <laughs> we may see a response come from that vulnerability. It's possible. Um, so the way we approach these kind of things is that when we run the scan, um, when we run a particular scan, we'll be looking for it's it's quite typical that you do see um this thing triggered during the lifetime of the scan yeah. um, and just to mention that web application scans can take a long time for a decent size attack surface you know in terms of they can take many days potentially um so it's it's often that those things trigger during the scan and then we'll report them there and then but um we also just basically listen out for hits mm -hmm. so if there's ever a hit um, then we'll We'll basically um, tie that back to the scan so that yeah. we know exactly what triggered that hit, and there'll be some notification to say that um, a vulnerability was discovered for an earlier scan. Um, okay. But yeah, that's yeah. So. So that sounds that sounds like uh, those are the easy bits. So you know, you you send a payload to a to a web server, and you know, if you get an out of band request, then that's that's pretty much guaranteed, right? When we when we look at this problem of false positives versus false negatives, if you get that lookup, then that vulnerability must have existed right so the chance of a false positive in that context must be very low yeah yeah these are good and that's why sometimes um 
So sometimes when we're doing a, so I, I've done some work recently mm -hmm. with um, some organizations, one in particular where they had a very large attack surface and they needed the thing scanned very quickly. Um, also, it was a very old system and it was, um, it often fell over when it had too many kind of requests coming into it, too yeah. much concurrency. Um, so we really cut down the payloads and we decided for that application, we were looking for SQL injection because we knew that there, there were problems in the application yeah. and we wanted to find every instance of it. So we really reduced the payloads and, and we opted to use purely the, the kind of out of band approach to detect those because we knew that it would, um, it would detect them um, accurately. Yeah. And yeah. So whereas usually when we're looking for vulnerabilities, um, there are always the, the other side of scanning is that you know when you use an application in your browser that sometimes you get a page saying page not found or mm -hmm. you get an error message and it's sporadic and yeah. you find you refresh the page and the thing works again. Now, there, there could be many explanations for that, which could be to do with the load on the system or something that happened at that moment. Yeah. But sometimes things don't, they don't always run like clockwork. <laughs> um, so um, often when we're scanning, that's why we we often do use maybe multiple techniques to detect the same vulnerability and we'll okay, engage it's like all a confirmation. of those. Yeah. yeah, we'll engage all of those because something might happen and it might miss that particular instance. Obviously, you can run another scan and you can find out, but we often use multiple techniques to confirm the vulnerability. But in that particular case, I mentioned it was an example where we really wanted to reduce yeah. the request set. So we, we just opted to use something accurate and, and yeah. we used out of band. But yeah. So, so um, it sounds like out of band is, is uh, relatively new. I guess if you're saying that it's been it's being used increasingly by scanners, it sounds good from an accuracy point of view. So that brings up the question of um, what about direct responses from applications? Then how does the application scanner, when it looks at a site, know that the data it's looking at is supposed to be confidential, or it is in it, how how does it infer vulnerabilities from direct responses instead of out of band? Yeah. So this is a this is kind of onto a different kind of class of vulnerability, which we, we often talk about them being kind of subjective vulnerabilities where okay. we know as a, when you're doing, and, and you do pen testing, how do mm -hmm. you pen testing? We know that when, when we're looking at a particular application, you quickly get, as a human, you quickly <laughs> build up um, an understanding of what data is supposed to be protected and what data is supposed to be public within that application. And so as soon as you find, um, that, for example, if I authenticate to an application and I find some information, I know that that's sensitive. It could be patient records, it could be um, payment card details, um, but I'll, I'll know as a, as a pen tester. Yeah. Um, and I can flag that as a vulnerability if I find that I can access the same data without authenticating, for example. Maybe yeah. I find that there's a particular path to that data, and if I log out, if I, if I if I kill my session, my authenticating session, and I access that data again on the same path, for example, I find the same data and I know that's a vulnerability there. It's like a direct object access. Yeah. Um, and I know it's private data. But like you said, it's for a scanner to know that, to automate that process is difficult because, um, okay, there are certain signatures like credit cards that we could match, although they could be false positives too. Mm -hmm. And we could say, we logged into the application, we crawled it, and we saw this data. When we didn't use the session, when we were unauthenticated, we also saw this data. For the scanner to be able to flag those kinds of subjective vulnerabilities based on the nature of the data, like the semantics of the data, uh, it needs some insight into knowing what is sensitive and what's not sensitive. And this is something that we, we've been looking at um, to try and improve things. but. Mm -hmm. It's kind of it's it's a good example of where um, you take the automation, so the, the idea that you just click scan and it will scan the whole application, and then you consider that if you give the scanner a little bit more information, then it can help to make sense of some of this stuff. So, for example, if we are able to tell the scanner, um, there's these are the these are the flows through this application. This is how you create a user. This is how you create content. This is how you pay for a product. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is how you view your medical data. If we can annotate those flows with um, just just simple annotation to say, if you see this data here, um, or you know this in, in this region of the application, or something like that, or from this API call, then this data is sensitive to that particular user, or this data is sensitive to any user that's authenticated. So you must be authenticated to see that. Then the scanner has enough information to know that when it 
and it's scanning in an unauthenticated way and it sees that same content it can flag that as being um, a vulnerability because it knows it shouldn't see that so these are the kinds of things that we're uh, working on there we we talk about um in terms of the application and authentication we we view an application as an abstract um, like a crud system so a create read update delete because if you think about what most applications do then they do that process they create content whether that's a user a blog yeah um, you know a purchase you know a payment um they update that data they edit the data they can delete it and they can view the data so if we are able to map those particular flows in the application um inside the scanner and annotate them then it gives the scanner much more information about how it can um, check those and the, the beauty then is that when you're manually pen testing something if you if you're faced with as we often are an application where it's got like a gazillion fields in the form and you have a wizard and it's you, you fill in all this detail and the de- the information's got to be valid so it's got to be a, vad- a valid NHS number or um, you know it's all got to be valid and you've got to go through this flow till you get to the end and then the application will honor that input and and do what it's supposed to do with it and the vulnerability may happen somewhere in there so to to then go through all of those fields and fuzz them manually can be very difficult especially if you also factor in things like that form might use um tokens so cross-site request forgery tokens mm-hmm. which means that um we can't just replay each stage of that input to the scanner because it needs to have a valid token that, that you got when you rendered the form in your yeah. browser and all these things can make it difficult to manually pen test things like this but if we have enough information in there about the flow for the application for the scanner then it can automate that and it can it can fuss through them all it will take a long time but it will do it faster than a human could <laughs> and uh, and 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 that's that's when we get closer to the idea of pen testing and more kind of things that you would expect from an experienced pen tester to be doing um and we, we're leveraging the automation of the scanner to to really yeah. scan through each of those parameters to find the vulnerability i think i think that's the, yeah. the big thing really isn't it for this this episode it's a lot of people will consider vulnerability scanning you know if they've never looked at the underlying technology or maybe never looked at many of the advanced options that their scanning platform provides you know, they might just define a scope and then and then hit go and think that's all that there is to it. But you know, you're you're talking about the fact that there's some complexity here, and the scanner can can effectively be taught, right? I guess taught is the right word here to to deal with yeah. those things. Yeah, that's right. So it's the idea is that when we start out, what we would do is say, like any like any good pen test as well, um, what you don't want to do is miss an obvious vulnerability so you don't want to miss the unauthenticated cross-site scripting you know unauthenticated unauthenticated database injection you don't want to miss those things because you're focusing too much on the the more complex stuff which is which is going to also raise the bar for the attacker so the the attacker um you know if if you get rid of the if you find the obvious stuff first the simple straightforward vulnerabilities then it means the attacker's got to try harder to reach those other vulnerabilities so what we often do when we're working with clients is we'll say just just create a just scan your application even just do an unauthenticated scan to start with. oh right yeah yeah and see if yeah see what you find um, and then try authentication and then as we understand the application more we can say yeah well this application's got some quite complex flows in it and um and no scanner as much as we would love it to do this no scanner can have the intuition to say when i do this part of the this application this particular application which might be something to do with logistics to do with planning routes through mm-hmm. um, you know for transport across the world and it's got different stages so that so i'm going to put that data in there no scanner is going to ever have the intuition to do that uh, so we can identify those points and say right um, we've done the the basic scanning we've, we've we've ruled out anything obvious so now let's try to teach the scanner more about how your particular application works yeah. and, and and what the particular sensitive things are you know and often clients have an idea about stuff that or the developers they might have an idea about things that they're a bit unsure of that they, they think we really want to test that particular part of the application because um you know nobody's worked on that for the past five years and the guy that did it has left now and, and nobody knows how it works <laughs> we really want to drive that part of the application so then we can just just add to the the configuration of the scan to to as closely as possible reach the full attack surface yeah and by and by doing this i don't mean a, a big laborious process i mean just literally um it's, it's the same kind of idea that you would use when you were writing 
um, kind of acceptance tests um, for software where you were uh, or regression tests where you know there are certain paths of the application that are important yeah the, the core the core features of the application and those are often already mapped out or they should be in test cases that that run when the test when the code is being worked on and it's just that same idea of just directing the application minimally with just enough information so it can get from one stage to the next and then to the next and then complete the process and that's all it needs and the scanner can do the rest in terms of um fuzzing you know and yeah. doing it many 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 times i think that's so, yeah. that's possibly a surprising parallel actually between penetration testing and vulnerability scanning because you know in penetration testing we often often talk about like you know let's do an easy pen test first let's do something um low level something basic because you know um baby's first pen test quite frequently if a company hasn't had testing before it, it goes badly right well they're breaking easily or they'll have password water or something like that and we talk about yeah. like you know setting setting the customer up so that we can increase their maturity over time and you know the i think it's it's kind of broadly accepted that you would be on a path as an organization from pen testing up to something really advanced like red teaming and including things like social engineering and physical access and those kinds of things. But it but it sounds like you're saying that the same the same journey, the same story exists for vulnerability scanning as well. It's like run an unauthenticated scan and find the easy stuff and then and, and then work on that so that the scan is, is giving more value to the company, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um it reminds me of when so recently working on a there was a particular pen test that mm -hmm. I did recently and and I remember in fact I've I've tested that company about three times now and the first time you know they had some quite low level stuff and uh, and I remember getting to the end of the test and and thinking oh this is this other interesting stuff but running out of time so the next time I tested them they'd fixed all of the low level stuff and so I had the opportunity to really focus on this other stuff so looked at that found some more vulnerabilities. And then the next time they fixed all that stuff and then it was like getting much harder yeah <laughs> much harder to test but this is a good thing because <laughs> it means they're you know they're they're i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and we're making it harder for an attacker and also harder for a pen tester and it also means that the um it's this like pen testing as well some if you're doing pen testing then you don't really want to be finding the same stuff over and over again. It happens quite a lot, but you want to see things improving, and you want to you want to be challenged by, you know, what's so there's nothing there's nothing obviously wrong with this application, but let's really try and understand exactly how it works now. Um, I think okay, I think so that's this, like yeah. that's such a key point from the pen tester's point of view because, like, it, it isn't from my from from like putting my pen tester hat on. It isn't that it's like vulnerability scanners versus penetration testers, right? Penetration testers don't want to go on an engagement and find the easy stuff and maybe, maybe not even like necessarily what we're talking about now but like the really easy stuff right i don't want to get on a pen test and then have to write a 300 page report because they haven't patched anything and they're, and they're, they're missing basic vulnerabilities yeah. or they they thought they had some protection in place maybe they put too much faith in a web application firewall or something like that the pen just don't want to do that we don't want to get you know to the start of an engagement and have a really easy time you absolutely nailed it the pen tester wants a challenge and it sounds like vulnerability scanners can can set you on that path to to challenging your pen testers. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, how much there's probably there's probably not too much value in. Uh, well, there's definitely not much value in having a pen test uh, regularly that's 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 uncovering the same vulnerabilities, um, and and all the while the the pen testers' time is being used up on on finding and reporting those when there's other stuff lurking in there. Yes, yeah. that really. Um, you know, it would be really good to focus on and find the intricate parts of the application to find it. Because sometimes um, the other thing with the automated scanner is that what we try and do is we we don't always find a vulnerability, but you find some information, and that's the other side of it. This is the side that, as pen testers, we we rely on that stuff. So we we sometimes find some information. Maybe a particular framework is being used. Maybe a version of software is being used. Yeah. A certain library, and that's not enough for the scanner to to say this is a vulnerability but a pen tester can pick that information up and say hang on we've got this particular version of this software and this particular version of that software and this page um, you know it accepts a, a get method or a post method for a form and if I tie those things, three things together I can come up with a high severity vulnerability yeah. that's the kind of that's the kind of things that um, you know that, that's a marriage between automated scanning and pen testing too is that the let the scanner pull out all the the data for us you know the, the information and we'll try and use that to find vulnerabilities you might get um 
often often one that I with clients um, when we run scans, mm -hmm. sometimes they have a they, you know they've they've been doing things well and there's no vulnerabilities, there's no high severity of vulnerabilities, but we might find things like um, certain certain paths responding in a, in a different way, an unexpected way. So we look for certain path like slash admin, it might lead to an admin portal. Yeah, um, we might then find that um, that admin portal um, is a particular piece of software that is known to be vulnerable or something like that. So that would lead to vulnerability. Or we might find some other interesting paths, like we might find directory listings um, containing files, and some of those files could be backup files containing credentials, yeah. payment card details. And so it's it's that idea of just, it's not just about finding vulnerabilities, it's about flexing the application and hunting around for stuff to find information that could also be useful for the, the, the company using the software or for pen testers that are also using the scanning as part of their work. Yeah. So it's, yes, it's a nice, it's a yeah. nice union. I guess, uh, I guess let's, let's flip some of the questions and I see the other side of things. So, um, you know, we, we've talked about how a, uh, web application scanner like approaches these problems, but what what are the remaining hard problems for web application scanners? Where where do you still find technology struggling? Yeah, so one of the which we hinted at earlier, one of the harder parts to web application scanning is the actual crawling process. Mm -hmm. So we know now that lots of people, um, most new web application software now is written using single page application frameworks, which for people that aren't aware of what that means, it's it's where um, the application, rather than spanning multiple pages where you click links and submit, you know, you refresh the page yeah. or you click on a different link, you know, you get a different page. What you effectively has is, is at the extreme is a single page that loads in the browser. And that all the interaction with the application then is um, through API calls to the server. The responses come back and the page gets updated, um, you know, like piece by piece um, by various frameworks that people use, like Angular and, you know, um, Vue and all those things, yeah. React. And, but this presents a problem for scanners because you can't use the traditional approach of just scraping links from a page to crawl it. You mm -hmm. can't just say, I go to this page and there's a link there's a menu link and it points to all the different places in the application, so we follow those. Um, and we can't explore the application, we can't crawl it in that way. We have to drive it through a browser engine, just as a user would when they were navigating the application. Yeah. So we have to make sure that the application is um, behaving as it would when we're scanning it, when we're crawling it, as it would for a user using it in the browser. So that's gonna be, um, it, rather than having links to pages, there'll be event handlers and that will, when you click on things, they'll trigger events in the framework or, or in the client's own code. And those events will update content, they'll send API calls. And we need to capture those API calls um, because those are the things that we want to fuzz. Um, and so, and, and that, you know, so that in itself means that we need to change the way we scan. So we need to use a browser engine to do that. that that's, that's just, that explains the, the core problem there. But there are, yeah. and there are lots of questions about how do you, um, when you're given an application, how do you know that you've not explored a particular piece of that application before? Especially if we talk about something like um, Amazon, for example. Yeah. Let's come back to that example. Um, if we if we look at a page on Amazon, a product page, as a human, we can see this is a product page, mm -hmm. and 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 we can click on two different products, and we can say this is the same thing as that, but it's got different content. But then for the scanner to be able to make those decisions, to be able to infer that it's already seen this part of the application, it doesn't need to crawl around anymore in this application. Even though it's it really is a new page, it's it's based on the same kind of template, it's based on the same code path on the server. Yeah, so the scanner has got to apply some kind of inference to be able to make those decisions about um, how far it's got around the application, um, whether it's explored um, all the regions that it's seen, you know, does it, we, we want to avoid it um, falling into traps like loops where it just keeps looking at the same stuff over and over again. So there's lots of kind of heuristics and, and inference to do. Yeah, it's funny you know, because it the, the same problems come up with, with pen testing, but in, in such a different way. So like um, one of the things that we would obviously have to do as a pen test is, is scope the engagement, right? So you need to know like, how long is this going to take us? And, and then that's you know tied to cost, as I, as I imagine people understand. But working out, how how big an application can can be difficult there as well. So it's the same problem that scanners have, that pen testers have. We just have it in a different stage. So sometimes you'll talk to a customer and say like, you know, oh, can you 
can you give us an understanding of the, the scale and complexity of the application? They might say something like, oh, it's got 10,000 pages. And actually, it might yeah. be one page from you know the code's point of view, but it's like it's ten thousand products really, but but it's the same the same yeah. dynamics. It's the, it's the same problem, isn't it? And um, from yeah. the from a testing point of view, from a pen testing point of view, dealing with single page applications is broadly speaking quite quite easy, right? So how we would do that is we'd use a man in the middle proxy, something like that, and then we as a, as a human navigate around the page and our um, tooling. So for for tool assisted testing, you know the the, yeah. the proxy can just watch what we do and then it can learn from us. But from a scanning point of view, it it, it sounds like that's um, a bit of an interesting problem. Yeah, and I think like a pen tester too. Um, from a pen tested point of view, especially if it's this is a new application they're testing, mm -hmm. then it's a good analogy to use for crawling because um, the pen tester that's never seen that application before, when they come to the application, their goal is to try and find interesting stuff usually yeah. um, and, and to bypass all of the stuff they've seen already, like products, like we said. And it's a similar idea in the scanner that it doesn't know anything about the application, but it might infer things from the way the application is laid out, the way it has menus and things like that. Um, and and it might use um, kind of prior, prioritization of certain things that it wants to explore first. And so, for example, if you were if you were looking at an application as a pen tester and you found that there was a, a menu of all different products, mm -hmm. um, what you probably would do is go and look at one of those, but you wouldn't go through all of them and look at all of them. Yeah. Um, you'd identify visually, probably, that, um, that they're all relating to similar content, and then you move on and look at other stuff, like maybe there's a settings yeah. area in the application, which could be interesting, or there might be a place where you can upload new products, for example. So you'd, what you'd be doing, whether you realize or not, is when you're doing that, is that you're, you're making decisions about whether you've seen a piece of content before or whether it looks like you're heading towards something new and interesting. Yeah. And I, I remember working on a pen test where it was, it was very noisy in the sense that the application had a lot of content. Like it was, it was blogs and stuff like that it had a lot of content. And then only, only very late when I was looking at the application, did I realize there was another a whole other part of the application. It's yeah. probably common to a lot of pen testers. And then you click on, you, you follow something or you, you look under a path like slash legacy or something, and you find that there's a whole other interface to that application. And, you know, and, and it, it could be possible, quite possible, that you would have missed that because you, 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 you were kind of, you thought you'd seen the whole application, and then suddenly you realize there's this other part of the application to explore, and then it opens up a whole new, you know, a whole new thing really to look at. And yeah, so the scanner is basically trying to behave like a human and try and use inference to really fully explore that application. And it, and the idea is that it, it doesn't want to get bogged down in a particular area yeah. so that it would miss other stuff. So you mentioned you mentioned so talking about getting bogged down. You mentioned loops earlier. What what did you what did you mean by that? And when it comes to the crawling engine, why are loops and things such a problem? Yeah, there's always a there's a common classic example of a looping crawling, which affects any kind of crawler really. But um, but the feature is like a calendar. Okay, so mm -hmm. people often mention this calendar idea. So if you imagine that part of the application is a calendar where you can view events in a diary, and when you go onto that page, there's there might be um, a link that says next, um, and it takes you to the next month. And if you keep following that link next, it will keep it will endlessly take you to the next month. There's no end to it. So that's a that's an that's a classic simple example but there can be other cases like that where for example when you follow a link um it takes you to something with maybe different content um but it's effectively the same thing that you found and it, it may have it may even appear that on that page there are links to new stuff but when you follow those things just like with the calendar you end up in the same place and um so we call these yeah kind of loops or yeah you end up in a hole in a scan and you want to avoid those things because you basically waste scanning time by looking at the same stuff. So usually, unless it's a really simple case, usually that requires some kind of inference about. Um, again, we're treating it as a black box. We don't know. We don't know what the content of the application is supposed to be, but we might. We might see certain signatures that show us that we're. we're it looks like we've ended up in the same place again. Um, that's one example of a loop. There are other strange things that happen in reality because. From from pen testing as well, what you also come to realize is that nothing uh, nothing works in any kind of standard way. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so it's it's quite common to find applications where 
um, one, for example, you might click on a link and that link takes you to another page. And as part of the URL on that new page is part of the URL from the last page mm -hmm. and you follow another link and it, and it, and it, it continues in the same way. So you might find that you're recursing your URL. So the URL grows longer every time you follow that link. And it's a strange thing that happens with some applications and it probably for a human user, it wouldn't matter because they would realize that maybe they're, they're not finding any new content there. They're, they're you know, they've, they've, they've reached the end. Yeah. But for a scanner, when you have those kinds of things happening, it gets very complicated. It's um, it, then it's got to realize that it's actually not finding any new content and it's the URL is growing longer and longer. And no matter how many times you follow that link, that URL is just going to keep getting longer. So you'll think that you've got a unique URL when it's really just, yeah. it could be a fault in the application. So there, there, we call it URL path recursion, mm -hmm. something like that is what I call it anyway. But there are lots of strange things that can happen in reality that can make it hard for a scanner. And so we've got to try and um, consider all of those cases. Which, yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, so it can be quite tricky. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those things, it's just another example of what we mentioned earlier, so it's like a, a human would pick up on this very, very easily, but with a, with a number of different things that you could see, it, it, it's difficult with the scanner. Yeah, there's another example uh, like that, which is for .NET applications. Mm -hmm. So .NET applications often use view state to track um, the, the code on the server, the session state and sometimes you get those those the view state which is just for people that aren't aware is, is something rather than having all of the state stored on a server for each client you store the state in a cookie which is uh, something that's a uh, value that's set in a browser it's client client or side it could be a, yeah it could be a cookie or it could be um like a field a hidden field on a form mm -hmm. and so every time you submit that form it sends that state back to the server so that's that's how it works but what can happen is some kind, sometimes if we're following certain paths in the application, the view state can get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It can grow to like megabyte, you know, like tens of megabytes, yeah. maybe a hundred megabytes. It can get really big, which then obviously becomes unfeasible to scan. Um, and it's and it's usually the fact that it's grown so big is not um, for any particular purpose. It's just a side effect of the fact that the application is being used in a way that a human user probably wouldn't use it. The scanner is repeatedly doing things, and sometimes those kinds of things can happen and it can grow. There is another example that comes to mind when I'm speaking about that, which is to do with um, how payments kind of shopping applications work. Yeah. So when you go to um, to buy a product, usually it will tell you how many products are left in stock. And when you add that to your basket, usually that most applications, the way they work is they tentatively deduct one from the stock because they think that somebody's about to buy it yeah, and they, okay. they want to avoid other users seeing it. So um, this can lead to a kind of denial of service effectively. Um, but for the scanner, what it means is that if we've got some workflows mapped that, that order a particular product and then go to check it out, if we keep repeating that loop, then we might find that the product becomes out of stock because the application is tracking that state of, of purchases. So it's another example where uh, for a human, that wouldn't matter, you know, and that, that, that stock, that tentative stock would probably time out quite quickly if nobody bought the product so that other users could add it to yeah. their basket. But for a scanner, when it's doing things repeatedly, that can pose a problem because it might find that suddenly it's flow that worked before that works in most cases stops working because there's this extra state to be taken account of. And we, we, we have, we have ways of approaching that as well, but those are kind of examples of where sometimes the application is not built to be scanned in that sense. It's not built to have repeated requests on, you know, like a child pestering you. Yeah. Um, that's the scanner. It's like, you know, can I, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And, and the application's like, I'm not, I'm not used to that kind of harassment. From... I guess this, this, this brings up two things, isn't it? It's like um, scanners are going to do things that are just weird, that humans would never do. And then also it, it brings up the problem of like, well, some of the things that it could do might might be disruptive. So just as as you were talking about calendars a second ago, there's a really interesting thing I don't know if people have seen um, on on iPhones, and I'm sure it affects a lot of devices. But um, if you scroll back on the calendar far enough, so as we were as we were talking there, I was scrolling back on on my iPhone calendar, back to about 1850, and when you do that, really weird things start happening. So you'll start finding February has got 31 days and August has only got seven days and things like that. Because, you know, obviously they've, they've, they've programmed in 
and, and no doubt tested that application in the kind of way that people are likely to use it. Now, I'm unlikely to put in a meeting request for 1845. So, you know, when you say that, you know, the, the scanner is almost harassing the application, um, it, you get a feeling like that, that could cause some really unusual problems just because the scanner might find itself down some code path or in some state where that's just like, okay, well, we never thought that would happen. We never thought somebody would press those buttons in that way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we find that's um, a case where we often find denial of service vulnerabilities, like I mentioned with the, the product stock, uh, which effectively you'll find on some applications if you go to those and, and you fill your um, fill your basket with, you know, as many of those products as you can, it will effectively stop other people yeah. for a short period of time from buying those products. Um, now, probably I expect most applications deal with that, but some probably don't because it's just not an expected um, use, user pattern. But yeah. Maybe we can schedule another podcast in 1845 and uh, and see what happens. See what happens, yeah. Just like which, which software will will deal with it. I remember there's a, there's a good example, uh, and no doubt anyone who's worked in software development before will, will have come across things like this, where you can cause really weird situations with computers by putting emojis in funny places. So there's a story of um, on a on a mobile banking application that released a feature where you could rename your account. So if you have more than one account, you can call it something you know, like current account or savings account or holiday fund or whatever you want. And uh, somebody uh, named one of their accounts an emoji and the front end, the mobile application handles that no problem. But there was some back end system somewhere which basically caught on fire because it just wasn't coded to handle that. They just didn't expect that input. Yeah, no, it's always interesting, Yeah, especially the, the interaction between two different systems that yeah. are... You know, they just, it's very difficult, which comes back to the idea of fuzzing again, mm -hmm. which people use for standard testing, because it's very difficult to consider um, outright upfront, like exactly how your system is going to behave when you connect it to another. Nobody writes perfect software. Yeah. Nobody writes, you know, um, and and you do get, yeah, these strange interactions where, you you know, maybe one one system expects it in a certain encoding and, and we can change the encoding mm -hmm. and it, and it does some interesting things on the other side, maybe, you know, there's all, yeah, all kinds of interesting things that can happen between systems. And a good way of finding those often is to just take the front end system and, and hammer, hammer through some yeah. strange payloads and see what happens. And, and that's a very quick way of finding those. I guess, I guess people who are, who are listening are going to, are going to want to know, you know, if, if we're talking about a technology such as yours and saying, Hey, sometimes weird things happen. Does the technology have, protections built into it does the scanning engine have protections built into it so it so it knows sometimes when it get when it finds a, a dangerous function i guess most directly um what if the web application has a button that says delete all data will the scanner press it um definitely yeah see if we've got um there's a certain part of the scanner where if it sees something like that it, it hits it straight away aims <laughs> <laughs> for those things yeah it's like you learn no, your yeah. lesson <laughs> yeah but no, in truth, um, we so there are probably like when you're if you're if you're pen testing a production system, mm -hmm. usually we encourage people if they've got um, staging instances, then it's it's you use those because you can you can authenticate as an administrator user and scan everything uh, without risk really of damaging production data. Presuming your but staging it, environment looks anything like production. Yeah, yeah. So if if People, if that's available, then there's no worry. But um, for production, yeah, we, by default, we don't, we try and avoid dangerous stuff mm -hmm. um, that's obviously dangerous or things that we might think would remove content, for example. Um, but obviously, sometimes there may be a vulnerability that's only triggered when content is removed. So we don't, we don't say we completely rule it out. But by default, we, we say that the scanner is configured to do a safe scan which means that we use safe exploitation of certain vulnerabilities. So it won't, it won't use payloads that will obviously um, or potentially destroy data. There's no drop tables uh, and things in there. Is there? Yeah, yeah, things like that. Um, so we have that kind of stuff in there. And we also, in terms of crawling and stuff, we, we try and avoid, if we're authenticated um, as a user, then we try and avoid following things that look to remove data mm -hmm. unless, unless somebody wants that to happen. Um, it might be part of a CRUD flow, a flow that we map that yeah. says we create some data, then we remove it, and it could the, the, the data, the vulnerability could trigger when it's the data is cleared, mm -hmm. for example. Um, but by default, we 
take a safe approach to exploitation and crawling. And yeah, but it's but it's not um, it's not foolproof because, like you said, there could be a big button on there that says <laughs> "click me," and of course, the scanner will follow it because "click me" looks interesting, and it might turn out that that's um, it, it might actually say somewhere in a note, um, or it might be part of the application that is purposely there for developers to use yeah. that, that the scanner somehow found and it might make it clear to a human that that will clear the database but there's a scanner it just sees a button saying click me and yeah. uh, you know so these things happen they're very rare i've seen it a few times um, over the years and and usually the clients have realized that they exposed that feature yeah. by mistake <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and often they've backed up their data already yeah, but and that, and that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? It's like it's good security testing hygiene. You know, it can happen on yeah. pen tests just as it can happen on vulnerability scans. So, you know, people should yeah. be looking to run testing in a staging environment which actually represents that production environment. They should be looking to do some kind of backup prior to potentially destructive testing, and they should just be aware of the fact that you know what, sometimes weird things are going to happen when we try and book meetings in eighteen forty-five. Yeah. And I think we also try and make people aware that if they're, um, it, so it's good, like we said earlier, it's good to um, scan an unauthenticated um, sort of access to the web application yep. to find the low level stuff. And and usually there is probably, hopefully there'll be no danger of um, of trashing any content or anything like that. If there is, then that, that will be a high vulnerability really. Yeah. Um, and then when they, maybe they might authenticate the scanner as a, sort of a typical um, client-like user, a low-level user, and then run the scan as that user. And then maybe they want to scan the admin as well, mm -hmm. the admin account. But in that case, we would say, well, you know, definitely don't do that on production because the admin user is probably going to be able to do lots of damage potentially. So yeah. if the scanner is running as the admin user, then that's probably going <laughs> to cause some fires. Um, so to try, you know, try that stuff on a, a staging, a pre-production kind of system and and see how it works but generally um they you know they really want to make sure they're doing the unauthenticated scans and also scans for low level users kind of uh, basically the the most the most kind of um people that will be using the application they want to be able to scan yeah. from that perspective but usually the admin accounts um i don't know on, on most complex applications that i've looked at the admin the admin usually has some way either um, through a feature or through a vulnerability to control that host. Um, yeah. Maybe they can update a config file and that, that could then be used to um, update any file in the system and then take over the host. Yeah. And so it's all about, you know, how you look at the application, you know, who's got access to these accounts and, and also privilege escalation because if, if it's possible to take um, a normal user account and prove up to an admin through cross-site scripting or something like that then obviously that means the admin you really want the admin to be secured but it's it's all about gauging the kind of risk versus and um, who's accessing the system as what roles and things like that yeah you've got to draw a line somewhere so you should do that in a, in a, a logically reasoned thought out approach as opposed to just saying oh that might be scary so let's not do that yeah yeah so we talked about um like uh, finding paths and crawling the application, things like that. And you talked about, you know, the, the, the crawling side is really important so we don't miss um, certain areas. But um, how do you handle authentication and the fact that authentication, you know, might be username and password or it might be something a little bit more complicated? Yeah, so um, we, we have inside the scanner, we have, like I mentioned, the uh, application flows, like mm -hmm. the CRUD flows, mapping out flows. Um, in the same way that we can map out flow in an application, we have a simple scripting language. It's very simple. Um, so you can just basically direct um, the browser how you want to go through the browser, how you yeah. want to click on buttons and things like that. And so we can do the same thing for authentication. So if you want to, if you if you have some particular, it might just be username and password, or it might be more complex. There might be, um, for example, some online banks they have like um, pin codes. So, so you enter a you know, your name and then a pin code and about different digits that you enter to try and thwart key loggers. So like the, uh, the, please enter the second and fourth character yeah. from your secret word. So that kind of stuff. Um, so we, we handle that with, um, we call it a go script in our system. And mm -hmm. it's, it's just a simple way of telling the scanner, go here, um, do this, fill in this data here, and then click this. And so through that, we're able to authenticate um, users. And 
Now, the, the thing with authentication, though, is that authentication, aside from authenticating a user, different applications have different styles of um, how they authenticate. Now, in the, in the, in the nicest case for pen testers, usually, <laughs> is where you can take a user account and you can create as many sessions as you want with that user. Ah, uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, but some applications, what they might do is say, if you're logged in as that user uh, and then you log in again, it might um, invalidate the first session. So so that then gets logged out. And then if you log in again, it will invalidate the second session. So it only allows one um, session per user. Yeah. And I, I call those exclusive sessions. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the harder case even, so in that case, we need to make sure that if we're scanning that, that we're not creating multiple user accounts, we're using the same account. Otherwise, we're going to just end up invalidating all the um, all the authentication state and yeah. nothing is going to get through um in the the harder case is where you create a user account i mean you log into an application and then you try and log in another account on a different browser for example and it tells you that you're already logged in so it says you're already logged into this application so you can't log in again unless you wait for 30 minutes for example yeah yeah or, or the first user logs out again logs out so this is hard for a scanner because um it means that if you create um a session and you don't correctly tear down the session, then you can't create another session. And it, it means potentially you might have to wait a long time between sessions to log in again. So yeah. I call those I call those exclusive lockout sessions. So they're, they're exclusive and you can have one session per user, but the, the earlier session locks out the next session. You yeah. can't log in again. So those are those are aspects of authenticated scanning that are, you know, we need to deal with those to be able to scan applications. Um, so it's yeah and, and also when you're scanning you'll know from pen testing that when you you are authenticated there are certain things that can invalidate your session unexpectedly so oh all um, kinds of things god go yeah. go into quickly yeah. certain kinds of payloads using yeah. certain features and certain orders it's a it's a big frustration even even just for manual testing yeah so these kind of things and probably on the easier scale are things like um if you visit the login page again so if the crawler visits it after it's logged in it yeah. will invalidate session or if you go back to the root page of the application it could invalidate it but like you said other things where certain other paths might invalidate it certain um if it spots a keyword that you've sent in the fuzzer it might say oh this looks bad i'm going to kill your session yeah, yeah so we've also got to make sure that the scanner is able to um, detect that situation and repair and replay stuff that it's doing and um, so that it gets it gets a good a scan as possible despite those things now like i said before if you've got a nicer case where you can have a i call it a pool of sessions for, so for each user yeah. account you can create as many sessions as you want usually you can create a pool of those so that if one of those sessions um does become invalid then then it's then then the other you get some mitigation because there are nine other you know if you've got 10 sessions you've got nine other ones that are still active yeah so that that helps to mitigate but in the case where you've got a single um you've got an exclusive lockout kind of style authentication where you can only log in with one account and as soon as that one goes you have to log in as another one and and, and if you if you have an existing session you can't log in as another then you can see that makes it difficult to scan and probably in that scenario um we would that's another example where we would probably go to the clients and discuss with them you know this 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 is why it's hard to scan this application because the the authentication stuff is so hostile to scanning because yeah. um, the thing it, is, like, yeah. if you look at the exclusive sessions, it's like we could scan this, but we'd have to scan it one at a time. So the scan would complete successfully, but it would just take forever. Yeah, or share or share that session state, but then at the risk that if any one of those, um, if any one of those requests that's being made yeah. then invalidates the session, everyone's session is gone. You know, there's, there's no other, yeah. nowhere else in the scanner is able to use that session until it gets repaired again. So that when when a session is detected as being um, as invalid, then we do repair it again. But yeah, that's just an example of how something that you might, from a user point of view, you might just think every authentication um, system is the same as any other, but in, and, and style is the same. But it's not. So um, it's another example of how something subtle in that way can affect how you would scan it. And sometimes um, it's possible if we talk to a client about that, we might find that they say, oh, we can lift that limit for the scanner. We can we can reduce that. You know, we can just switch that thing off for the scanner, which is obviously the best thing then. Or they might say there's no way around that. So then we say, well, this is this is we can we can we can approach it, but it would just take longer. And you might need to run a few scans to, to make sure that you're happy with the results because because there could have been some um, period where it was invalid. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. and that could vary, yeah. I imagine, as well, depending on specifically how the application is viewed at that, that time yeah 
And the other, the other side, um, which is not really a big problem, but it's something that for people to be aware of, is that when you are considering having scanning done, yeah. now the, a, a good pen tester, um, well, it depends on depends on what kind of role they're they're playing. But a good pen tester will be able to test something in a stealth, like a stealthy way, yeah, without yeah. using obvious payloads and yeah. Um, whereas the scanner, if the scanner is attempting to do that, then it's going to take a lot longer to find stuff. So when somebody is considering having their application scanned, they want to consider things like making it as easy as possible for the scanner to um, to do its job. And one of those is making sure that there's no kind of um, blacklisting, so or, or kind of um, web application firewall yeah, style like um, software interfering. Yeah, because the scanner will be noisy. Um, so uh, a stealth hacker, stealth pen tester will not be noisy and they will probably get through the, the WAF quite easily, whereas a scanner will trigger the WAF quite easily too. So um, so it will get blocked. And if it's being blocked, then it's not scanning it. And and it's like the um, we often say when on pen testing about sometimes people request a pen test where, where the firewall is blocking the pen tester and the problem then is that you're really just testing the firewall to see if the firewall works and yeah this is the, the this yeah. is the big thing like we, we talk about it a lot in terms of like pen testing versus red teaming mm -hmm. I, I did an episode not so long ago where we, where we talked about like it, it isn't the case where one is better than the other it isn't the case where like red teaming is always better than pen testing it depends on like what is the intention of the test like it's um what are you testing is important but so it's like why are you testing and when we're looking at things like um if you're just trying to find out about the vulnerabilities that you have, which would be obviously a reason you might deploy a scanner. If you just want to know what's vulnerable and what's not, then making it easy is is good. And even from a pen testing point of view, it's like if you make it so I can scan faster, well, it, it's a consultancy service, right? So you, you, you're paying for my time. So if I can test easier, then it'll reduce the cost. And yeah, you're impacting the the so-called like realism of that assessment because you know, well, a you know a real world threat or a real world hacker wouldn't wouldn't have this context. So it's like, yeah, but what are you trying to what are you trying to do? You're trying to find vulnerabilities. You're trying to um, remediate issues as quickly as possible, or are you trying to do adversarial simulation? And there's a there's a place for like all of those things, but it's just like in this instance, what are we trying to do? Yeah, and often people talk about the the idea of defense in depth, isn't yeah. it? Like we yeah. we want. You want to really secure things at every level, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially the application. Make make sure that it's not um, that it's not vulnerable, because then, you know, if if one layer fa fails, then at least you've got, um, you know, you've got some assurance that this has been tested, and you know, because you, you might find as well that certain a certain vulnerability, um, like a server side request forgery, it just means that. We're able to make a request from your server internally to another internal address, for example. These things could be used to bypass anything on the outside as well. So it's you know it's possible that an attacker could find that vulnerability and use that to bypass any kind of external facing uh, yeah. protection or to, or just to directly access internal resources. So it's always yeah it's good to be aware of making sure you're protecting things at every level a good example of this i think as well is mm -hmm. um that with cross-site scripting vulnerabilities um where browsers do have some kind of um detection and prevention of cross-site scripting but it's not it doesn't cover every um every case oh of you're talking scripting. you're talking about xss auditor within the browser yeah oh that's basically dead now anyway this is a discussion we've been exactly yeah. The, the, yeah you know it's um content security policy is is better so so protections like yeah. xss auditor are kind of uh de dead projects yeah and that's a good example where people previously have thought some people have had the mindset that if they have cross-site scripting in their application then it's okay because browsers have this protection yeah. whereas if you if you look in in detail you find that actually the the browser protection is fairly very limited and yeah. discontinued <laughs> in <laughs> some cases now um and it's yeah so you really want to secure things if if you want to you don't want to leave any anywhere open really so yeah that's yeah. the it's like the um defense in depth is a good thing so, because it doesn't lead to an over-reliance on a single protection which which might itself have some issues you know there's no point having you know a single barrier just in case that barrier itself becomes vulnerable it like um, a really, really long, long time ago now, kind of maybe four years ago, um, during a pen test, I actually found cross-site scripting in a web application firewall. So it's like, <laughs> hey, you know what? Things go wrong. You started it, Nick, right at the beginning of this podcast. You say, you know, nobody writes perfect software. 
Yeah, that's right. And nobody writes security per, uh, perfect security software either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, a classic example is virus virus detection. You know, increasing yeah. the attack surface of a host. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, by scanning different files that are coming into it. It's yeah, but yeah, it's good to always never rely on one particular thing and just to. Um, try and understand as much as you can about what can go wrong in different levels, mm -hmm. um, and 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 for developers to be educated, and um, you know, and then we we really will make some good progress, really. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Which is the goal of everyone. Yeah. 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 It's like let's I mean, make, make yeah. things better. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. So if you'd like to find any more information about any of our um, learning resources, our webinars, or about our what we do, then just take a look at appcheckng.com. And, um, and you get in touch with us or Holly. Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone has any questions about anything we've talked about today, if you want some clarity on something, or maybe we've just missed a whole section on application scanning and, and you think we should do a part two, let us know over the usual social media. And uh, if it's something big that we've missed, we'll, we'll get Nick back in for, for a second second episode. But Nick, thanks again for, for joining us. Thank you.